All right, well, thank you all for coming. Um, this is called um, The Mosque Next Door, and really the heart <clears throat> behind our time is um, uh, just to get a look at Islam, and I know that probably uh, living in in California and Northern California, especially, there's a lot of Muslims here, and I, most of you probably have, have some contact with some Muslims, and so I know there's some who have no no knowledge and some who have a lot of knowledge. And um, let me tell you where I'm at. Uh, I do not claim to be a scholar of Islam. Um, so I'm not going to be up here saying any any question you throw me about Islam, I'll, I'll definitely have the answer for. Um, so I, I'm not a scholar in that sense. But I would say I have the, um, the vantage point of... Um, experience, uh, which is I grew up in a Muslim home. And then secondly, I, I, I do think I've studied it more than the average person. So let me say it that way. Um, but, and I, and with my background, I've had a lot of interactions with Muslims. <clears throat> so with all of that, um, I hope that this will be um, beneficial uh, to you. I'll start with um, a little uh, intro about me. I, I shared some of it um, in the stage. Um, and then walk through just a quick, uh, very quick thumbnail sketch version of the history uh, of Islam. And then walk into really just kind of what Islam teaches. And really where, where I want to get to mostly is to get to, okay, so what are the main differences between Islam and Christianity? And what are the ways that we as followers of Christ uh, should be reaching out to them and and um, so ho hopefully, hopefully with all that, it'll be, uh, we'll have a good time. Okay. So let me, let me, let me pray for us and, and we'll get started. Father, we love you. We thank you God for this time. And Lord, we just pray that, um, you would be, uh, glorified as we think on this, uh, topic and think about, um, Islam and, and those who, uh, are separated from you, uh, do not have the right, um, saving knowledge of Christ. And so, God, that we, as your ambassadors, can, um, Lord, as we talked about this morning, have a heart of compassion, remembering um, how you reached out to us when we were cut off and we were separated and we were dead. And so, Lord, we pray that we would um, have that same kind of compassion, Lord, um, for Muslims and all who do not know you. So we need you, Lord. We pray that you'd be glorified in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, now, just to be clear, you said 2.30. Is that when the session starts over there? Okay, cool. All right. So I, I got it till 2.30. All right. <clears throat> so um, I shared some of my story. Uh, I, I don't know if I, if I um, wanted to give you a little bit more. Let me think about it because I ended up sharing more than I thought I would. But basically... Uh, I think I told you I moved here, I moved back to here when I was in the middle of first grade. The tutor who was teaching me English was the one that gave me the New Testament. And my father was the president of the Islamic Medical Society in Houston, was the chairman of the board of the Iranian Islamic Center. So a very prominent Muslim. So again, um, five pillars of faith of Islam. I'll talk about those in a moment. Basically, if I did these to the best of my ability, then maybe I get to heaven and that Jesus was just a prophet. And so what really happened was I was playing basketball my senior year in high school. And I took the Lord's name in vain, like many of us do. I said, Jesus. And a guy walks up to me and says, hey, that Jesus you just said, he's my God. 
No, no, he's not. He's your prophet. He goes, no, he's he's God. And I go, no, you're you're crazy. He's just a prophet. And so I went home and I'm flipping through the TV stations and I come upon a historical documentary about Jesus. It wasn't even a it wasn't even a um, a Christian show, you know. And then it says some worship Jesus as uh, God and they're called Christians. And I said, well, that's what that guy said. And right then God put that Bible on my mind. So I went upstairs and looked all over and found it at the bottom of my closet after 10 years. And I open it up. First book of the New Testament is Matthew and starts off a record of the genealogy um, of Jesus and uh, son of Abraham, son of David. So the Abraham part really kind of drew me in being a Muslim and my dad's name, obviously. So that kind of drew me in. And I just kept reading every day under the covers with a flashlight so my parents wouldn't walk in and figure out what was going on. And so my 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 um, let's see. Every day at my high school, this Christian kid would come uh, and debate with me. And by the way, Andrew, I don't know if he left, but he went to my high school. I, we just discovered that on the walk down. At the same time, we were there at the same time. So this kid, it may have been Andrew, who knows, would come and, 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 and debate with me on the side of Islam. I mean, he'd debate on the side of Christianity. I would debate against him on the side of Islam. But every night I'd go home and read more about um, his Jesus without telling him. So finally I got to the book of Romans and I got to chapter three and it changed my life. Uh, I began reading um, about a righteousness that comes apart from the law and um, a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that's Romans three twenty two. Everyone knows the next verse, but that verse nailed me to all who believe. And so um, I was sitting at a um, football practice and a guy invited me to an evangelistic crusade. Um, and it was actually called a crusade, which I thought was funny. I was like, you're inviting me to a thing called a crusade? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, oh, it has nothing to do with that. He goes, he said, he goes, there's free pizza. I go, oh, cool. All right. I, I like crusade, you know. So, so, so I went my... Uh, I went my uh, senior year in high school to this crusade and I heard the gospel and um, gave my life to Christ. So I'm driving home from that crusade and it hits me. What am I going to tell my dad? What am I going to tell my family? Um, and no one sat me down and said, oh, by the way, when you get home, you know, your dad will still be a Muslim. Good luck, you know, um, or, you know, that there's a cost to following Christ. So anyways, as I shared, I, I hid my faith for about a year and a half. And I don't know if I shared this part, but basically I did. And my father found out, made me choose between him and Jesus. And by God's strength, I chose Christ and he disowned me. And then he went to the University of Texas. My roommate, potluck roommate, which means you don't pick your roommate, you know, was a former Muslim who had become a Christian, was hiding his faith from his dad. And on, on top of all of that, we both dated the same girl in high school and didn't know each other. I'm serious. This is not a made-up story. And on top of all of that, we both had her same senior picture in our wallets the day we met each other, all right? So now you tell me that's not God, all right? So God used Fareed and I to lean on each other as his father would also disown him. And so... Um, you know, my dad, um, eventually took me back in, but as long as I'd go be a doctor and make him proud, cause he thought my Christianity was just a phase. And the plan was, he was going to pay for my entire medical school and take over. And I was going to take over his practice and be set. 
Uh, but God called me into full-time ministry. And my sister writes me a letter. She'd become a Christian. And she says, you're running from God. And she says, um, a Christian out of God's will is like a fish out of water. He'll struggle until he's put back in the water. And I was struggling. And she quoted 1 John 2.17, uh, which says, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And so I was like, okay, I got it. And I t- took my dad to lunch, told him I'm not going to medical school, I'm going to seminary. And he again kind of disowned me. And um, went with $4 in my pocket to seminary. Didn't have a job. Only my first semester's tuition paid for by my church. And God opened door after door after door, as I said, um, to uh, bring me to where I am today. So uh, my story, as I said, is just, man, he is faithful. He's faithful. If you lose your life, you will find it. It may not be the life you have planned for yourself, uh, but I'm telling you, it's the life you want. And so let me tell you a little bit about Islam. Okay, so first of all, and again, pardon if I insult anyone's intelligence here, but I've been around this country and I've had a lot of questions. So I, I want to start with this. So don't take it. This is going to be like, wow, this is so basic. But I promise some people may be confused. Islam and Muslim are not two different religions. We're on the same page with that, right? So Islam is to Muslim as Christianity is to Christian. Okay, I promise we'll get a little more in depth than that. I promise. (laughs) But I just want to start there because I've had that question. So the Muslims, the worshiper, the believer. Right. And Islam is the the religion. So Islam, the word means submission to Allah. Okay, Allah is their God. And Muslim means one who submits to Allah. Okay, And so basically a quick history is in 570 A.D. Muhammad is born. And he's the prophet of Islam and eventually marries Khadija, a uh, wealthy. She's from a wealthy merchant family. And she um, and many people believe that's how she came into contact with many Jewish and Christian tribes. Uh, that's how Muhammad came into contact with many um, and, and was influenced by a lot of the teaching um, it, that you find some similarities, for instance, in the Quran with some stories um, and so basically in 610 AD, when he was 40 years old, he claims to have gone into a cave where he, uh, had an encounter with the angel Gabriel that he felt the angel pressing down upon him and saying, read. And he said, read what? And then a second time read and then read what? And eventually this mir- miraculous a- a- encounter happened that he read, uh, what is the Quran, basically the word of God, uh, the word of Allah. And so. In fact, the word Quran means recital or reading, you know, and Muhammad is illiterate. He can't read it or write. This was a a spiritual encounter he claims to have had. And so, again, there's so much more to the story. But eventually, um, when some of the fighting had broken out amongst the tribes, they had to write these these uh, words down. And that's how the Quran came to be. Now, Islam primarily teaches monotheism um, that God is one, um, and Islam was born in an area where Mecca was a place of idol worship. In fact, uh, eventually when Muhammad would establish Mecca as the center of Islam, the Kaaba, you may have seen it, it's the big kind of box, black building uh, that they have to go to during their pilgrimage, and they they walk around it seven times. That used to uh, be a place where 
the idol worshipers would go. And, and so uh, before Muhammad drove them out. But basically, because he was teaching something that was really hurting the economy, because it was a place where these merchants would come, worship to their different idol, and then make the, their trades. So polytheism was very central to their economy. And so when he's preaching monotheism, the people didn't like that and essentially drove him out of Mecca. Again, years later, again, I'm skipping a lot of the story. Um, he's in Medina. He gets more and more and more followers. And eventually they come back to Mecca. Again, as I said, drive out the idol worshipers and establish Mecca as the center of Islam. And from there, obviously, Islam um, spreads. And so uh, after Muhammad's death, uh, you know, there's um, two major sects of Islam, the Shiite sect and then the Sunni sect. And so obviously uh, there's some theological differences. It started with a difference on who the successor to Muhammad would be. Okay, so the Shiites would believe this should be Ali, who was his son-in-law, the Sunnis Abu Bakr, which is their his uncle. And so there was this big um, sh- uh, rift there. Um, and so there are some theological differences too. The, the Shiites believe in 12 imams that came after Muhammad. The 12th one, the Mahdi, disappeared. And one day they believe he will return and, and kind of almost similar to a second coming of Christ, kind of a usher in uh, God's kingdom. And so basically um, that is a quick run through. But let me say, what is the teaching of Islam? So a lot of the theology of Islam comes uh, from the Quran, obviously, but there are some of it that comes from the Hadith, which is a secondary source. It's secondary to the Quran. And the Hadith is a lot of the uh, written down sayings and traditions of the Prophet Muhammad. And so basically um, what they believe uh, about God. uh, So again, Allah is the name for their God. And I've been, this may be something you don't care to know, but I've been asked several times about whether it's good to use the word Allah in the mission field. Um, And when I speak to um, Persians, we speak Farsi. So we have another word for God, which is Khoda. So I I have a way around that problem. So I can just basically say, let me tell you who Khoda is without using the name Allah, if that makes sense. But if you're speaking to an Arabic-speaking person, I don't know how you can not use the name, uh, but you can say Allah, not use the word, which is their word for God, and then explain who truly the Bible says Allah is, you know, and then um, differentiate it from the Quran, if that makes sense. Okay, so that's where I, that's where I stand. But basically, um, in my experience... Growing up in a Muslim home, Allah seemed to be, again, this is my experience, very an an impersonal kind of a God. He's wholly transcendent over his creation. There's the 99 beautiful names of God. But in my experience, there wasn't this kind of personal relationship with God that, for instance, that we experience through Christ. Um, And um, the the, the picture that I think most... um, describes the relationship between God and man and Islam as a taskmaster and a servant, a slave, who's been given the, again, remember, submission to Allah is the end goal of Islam. 
Whereas in Christianity, I think the, the, the relationship that most captures, uh, the illustration that most captures the relationship between God and man is father and, and children, that we become, behold, what manner of love that we should be called children of God. And through the Spirit, we can call him Abba, Father. And, and so there's a relationship whose end goal isn't merely submission, but actually conformity to Christ. Okay, and so I see a little bit of a difference there between um, Islam and Christianity. Now, what about man? What's their view of man? So in Islam, there isn't this idea of at birth, this sin nature kind of an idea. In fact, in Islam, man is believed to be born sinless, but yet throughout his life, obviously, he does sin. And like I said in the session earlier, that the, the good and bad that a man does or a woman does is obviously weighed upon a scale at the end. They're written down. Um, because of that is why I said, I don't think, um, okay, so they, they believe that they're born sinless, but then they, they, they do sin. What do we believe as Christians? <clears throat> yeah, in fact, David, you know, says in my mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. So he actually takes it back to conception. Okay, and so um, that's a whole huge different starting point, right? Um, and that's why I said that quote. If y'all heard me in the main session about that scholar I read that said, "Man, it's like I'm on the dock and a guy runs by and drowns himself." Again, there's not this. My point is, there's not a mindset of a need for a savior. Does that make sense inherently? Okay. Um, now. What do they believe about salvation? So there's, you know, the five pillars of faith. And again, a lot of you guys know this, but the creed uh, that they have to say that there is one God and Muhammad is his prophet. Um, that's what you you recite uh, when you become a Muslim and you recite it in the prayers, you recite it throughout your life. There's not this idea, by the way, of regeneration, okay? That of being, for instance, born again in Islam, you still have to all ultimately do the tasks and hopefully God will accept you, okay? Um, then there's the prayer. They pray five times a day facing Mecca and there's a specific prayer that they pray. Um, there's a section in the prayer that you can pray in your own language. But I know that like, uh, I don't remember it, but I remember memorizing the Arabic words because I don't speak Arabic. You know what I mean? And so to me, again, it was very rote, ritualistic type of a, a prayer. Um, thirdly, the fasting, they would fast during the holy month of Ramadan from sun up to sundown. So no food, water, sexual relations, you know, nothing between sun up and sundown. Wake up early in the morning and have a huge breakfast before the sun comes up. And they fast, and then they break their fast at the end of the night with a, with, with a feast also. So that's 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 what they do. Uh, giving they they give it's about two two percent of their income, and then the Hajj, the pilgrimage, as I said, once in their lifetime. That's the fifth pillar. They have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca, and then there's a little clause that says if they have the means, essentially, uh, which pretty subjective i think when you have your salvation on the line i don't know so but basically those are those are the five pillars of faith and so as i said um throughout um throughout their life 
their good and bad is, is recorded. And when they die in the day of judgment, their good and bad will be weighed upon a scale. And whichever one outweighs the other will determine if they go to heaven or hell. Now, when I talk to Muslims about this, they say, yeah, but Allah is forgiving, you know. But they don't, but there's still a scale system. They still don't have an assurance. They still don't know uh, ultimately if he's going to forgive, if they've been good enough. And as I said, there are many people who sit in churches that might as well be, be called Muslims because that's what they believe. As long as I've got a little bit more good than bad, I'm going to heaven. And as I said this morning, the problem with that thinking is how good do you have to be for a holy God? And the answer is perfect. And there's only one man who was perfect, and that's Jesus. Okay, And so he lived a sinless life, which, as I said, even Muslims believe, but they don't know why, you know. And so now, what do they believe about Jesus? Now, interestingly enough, they believe he is one of the major prophets of Islam. So there's Adam, there's um, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and then Muhammad is the completer of the faith. Okay? So, um, what's interesting to me, though, is they believe two things that are pretty drastic. One, as I said, that he was sinless. Secondly, that he was born of a virgin. Okay? Which are two of the biggest um, reasons that point to the deity of Christ, actually. The fact that he was born of a virgin um, is in fulfillment to the prophecy that the prophet Isaiah made that the virgin shall give birth and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means... Prophet with us. No. God with us, right? So, so I mean, so it's, they, they actually believe in the virgin birth. And they believe, like I said, in his sinlessness, which the scripture is, is, is clear. There's none righteous, not even one. Okay, no one seeks after God. All are sinners. And, and yet they believe uh, that Jesus was sinless. And so, um, the greatest sin in Islam is the sin of shirk, which is like shirt with a K. And it's to equate anything or anyone with God. Okay? So, that's why they have a hard time uh, wrapping their minds around, frankly, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the incarnation that God put on human flesh is like the greatest like blasphemy that they could probably hear. Because again, their view of a flesh of, of man versus God is so separate, you know, that God would never do such a thing. And so they can't wrap their minds around the incarnation. Um, and so, um, um, hold on, I lost my train of thought where I was going with that. Um, Um, yeah, 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 no, 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 um, uh, yeah, I know, but I was, where's I going with that? So, <laughs> oh, you are doing great helping me. Uh, it's, it's, it's not on you. It's on me. Well, anyways, uh, it, it'll hit me. I promise. So the, the, the point, no, no, no. The, oh, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, yeah, um, so what what I do is is like 
therefore, it's probably difficult to begin talking about Jesus being one with God with a Muslim. I don't think that um, it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's you should never do it. And I'm definitely saying they've got to get there. I mean, if they don't get there, they, they don't really have the truth. Okay? You can't have this like, well, let's do Jesus, but we'll just make him not be God. And we got him close, close enough, right? No, there's no, such, there's no category for that. Okay? Well, there is. It's called you're lost still. Okay? Because you have to understand who he is, that he is one with God, and that therefore demands your worship, right? So um, my, my point is, I may not lead with that, but sometimes when I talk to a Muslim, so if I, if I know that for some reason uh, I'm talking to you about a chair, <laughs> this is a horrible analogy, but stay with me, and for whatever reason I know that you're going you're to be offended if I call the thing a chair. Okay, so instead what I would do is say, hey, uh, I noticed that there's these four legs. Do you see those four legs? And like, yeah, I see four. Yeah, I could definitely. And the, the four legs are supporting the seat. Yeah, and the seat has a back. Yeah, yeah. And then watch them go, wait a minute. That looks like a chair. Bingo, right? So something like that is what I try to do. Is <laughs> I, I want them to see that Jesus is more than a prophet. You know, and let them see that, wait, he's sinless? Has anyone else ever been sinless? Wait a minute. The Quran says he made life. Did you know that? He breathed into a, uh, a lump of clay and created a bird in the Quran. Has anyone else ever created life outside of God or taken away life? You know, um, well, you know what I mean? On his, on his own. Uh, has anyone ever uh, uh, been born of a virgin, right? So those kind of things, I let them kind of discover it for themselves now eventually if they ask me i'm not gonna like hide from it but does that make sense what i'm trying to say good so jesus death what do they believe um the 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 uh, quran mentions his death in one place where it says it only that he was not crucified but it only appeared to them as so so one um leading theory that i've read is that uh when jesus prayed uh, you know, Father, if this cup may pass, the cup of su- the, r- the wrath of God, the suffering that he's going to go through, if it may pass, but not my will, your will be done. That uh, I've read some Muslim scholars that say, well, God actually answered that prayer. And then when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that God performed a miracle and took the likeness of Jesus and put it on Judas, his face on Judas. They arrested the wrong man, Judas, and crucified him. So there's a lot of holes in that theory, right? So who's the guy hanging from a tree? Is that not Judas? Is that or is that Matthew? Like a, I don't know. Their domino, their face went down or something. I don't know. So so they don't have a good answer. No one has ever had a hey a good answer outside of what the Bible says happened. And so anyway, um, that's what they believe about his death. So some believe that he will return and testify against Christians and actually be buried next to Hagar at the Kaaba. In, in Mecca. So, anyways, now, <clears throat> all right, y'all still with me? Good. Okay. So now, what are the what are the main? So what's what's the heart that I want to get you to? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the road with you, and you're gonna at first go, oh man, I know this. This is basic, but then I'm gonna go a, a, kind of a layer below it, and that's where I really need you to get. Okay. 
So if we have this, um, if we have this uh, picture, it's going to be beautiful. I'm a great artist. Uh, and we got the Muslim here. And then we got the Christian here. The Muslim is doing good things throughout his life. That's what those dashes mean. And then at the end of his life, right, there's this, uh, there's this scale that will determine if he goes to heaven or hell, right? Okay. Uh, what is the system basically called? Yeah, right. So it's workspace at the end of the day, you know. Um, now, what about Christianity? What, what, what does it teach? So how does that look? You get it on the front end, right? Before any works. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, Right? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest, lest any man should boast, right? So this is, uh, this is called what? No, no, not, not works, but... No, no, y'all said it, grace. Okay, so works versus grace. Now that's the thing that I said, y'all are like, oh, I got that, I already knew that. So I know you knew that. But here's what I want to get to. Well, before I get to where I want to get to, one more thing. This isn't the complete picture, right? Because remember what uh, even Dr. Carson was uh, preached it. What does Paul do after verse 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2? Verse 10, what does it say? Yeah, right? We are Christ's workmanship, right? That Yes, that there are works that God has prepared beforehand for us. So in other words, what I try to show a Muslim is that a Christian will do good works, but his good works are not a means to his salvation, but a product of his salvation, or actually maybe even biblically speaking, a proof of his salvation. Because if you go study, for instance, James, he'll make a big point about this. He'll say, if you say you have faith apart from works, uh, he's like, that kind of faith is dead. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. In fact, he talks of Abraham his faith was completed by his works. It was revealed by his works. It was um, manifested by his works. So does that make sense? It's not that we're working our way to salvation, but the works that we do are a product of our salvation. They show that we've been saved, okay? So this is what most of you probably already knew co- going into this class. but And the next part you already knew too, but I want you to think about it more when you're talking to a Muslim, Okay. And it's what's the motive behind these two? All right. So what's the motive to live for God in a workspace system? At the end of the day. uh, All right. So at the end of the day, I would I would use the word fear. Okay. And what I mean by fear isn't the um, the holy fear of God that we read about in the Bible, the reverence of God that when he speaks, you revere his word and you move in fear. In godly fear, Noah moved and built an ark, for instance. But it's a fear that, man, if you're not good enough, you're going to hell. And I don't know how many times I've talked to Muslims and I've shared the gospel with them. They're saying, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you live for God? That question assumes that if you're in this system, there's no reason to live for God. In other words, the only reason to live for God is if he has a gun to your head and threatening hell. Otherwise, why would, why would man live for God? And so what I submit is that there's something that's a greater motivator than fear. And it's the greatest motivator in life. 
What's the motive to live for God in this system? Oh, man, you guys looked at my notes. So, okay, love. No, you've read your Bible, haven't you? So what does 2 Corinthians 5, 14 say? For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, that those who live, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. So this is what I want to get Muslims to see. That I live for God, but it is not out of fear, but out of love. Yeah. What, say it again? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> now my mind's going, do I answer that one now or later? later, later. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, no, I like that question, though, bro, because I asked it to my stepmom once. So hold on to it real quick. But basically, um, this is what I want them to see. Okay, so there's actually a text that has both fear and love in it. Do you know what it is? Yeah, perfect love casts out fear. First Timothy 4, 18. I'm sorry, first. uh, No, 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 I'm sorry. That's not right. I I wrote down first John 4, 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And who, see, remember? Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So that leads me to my final time before um, we get to some questions or whatever. The, okay, I, I really want y'all to get this. Because at the end of the day, a Muslim doesn't understand love. Now, that may sound really offensive, but and they say, no, 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 God is loving, Allah is loving. But at the end of the day, if I love my wife for what she does for me, then I don't really love her. I love the things that she does for me, right? Because love has to be freely given for it to be love. If there's a price tag attached to it, the moment you earn it, it ceases to be love, okay? That's why my great, my favorite... Um, scripture as a former Muslim is Romans 5 8. Again, God demonstrates his love to us in this that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you did anything to earn it. Okay? Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, Hebrews talks about that Christ has secured for us an eternal redemption. Listen to this. Thereby freeing us from dead works to serve the living God. Now hear me say this. At the end of the day, if you are in this system and you're doing these good works, you're, you, you might say you're doing it for God, but you're still doing it for you because you're trying to get something from him. It's only when you have a, a complete understanding that you have secured or he has secured for you an eternal redemption. It's, go, it, it's set in stone. It's only in that standing that now when you do good works, you can actually say that they're for him and not for you. You see it? And so this is what this is what I, 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 Muslims need to see. So how do you win a Muslim for Christ? Love. That's the end of the day. They don't understand that free, unmerited love. 
Okay, so let me give you a few things. Number one, you can write these down, okay? Number one, and we're going to have a dialogue in our head. It's going to be fun. I'm going to say this, and you're going to say, ah, come on, I knew that. That's so basic. And if you have that thought in your head, just imagine me having the, the thought, okay, well, why aren't we doing it then? And then it'll be kind of fun, right? All right, so here we go. The first thing we ought to do is we, how many of you know Muslims, first of all? Raise your hand. Okay, good. That's the first step if you didn't ha- raise your hand. Okay, number one, you, we need to be praying for your, not, your, your Muslim friend that's across the street, in your workplace, in your school. I am a firm believer in the power of prayer as a entry point into evangelism. I, I think uh, when you study the scriptures, when Jesus sends out the 70, he sends them out two by two. What does he do? And to every place where he himself was about to go, he asked them first to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest for the workers are few. So he saturates every place he's about to go into with prayer. First Timothy says that we're to pray for all men. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So God desires it more than we do. He's telling you, pray. There's a group of Christians that prayed for me for a one year before I became a Christian. I didn't even know it. They just committed, we're going to pray for that Iranian kid at Stratford High School for one year. All right? Uh, and I could tell you story after story in the Middle East of how prayer is opening doors. Number two, you are to serve and love them. Okay? You're to show them this love that I'm talking about that has nothing in return for it. Does that make sense? Because when you love a Muslim, when you care for a Muslim, they uh, are going to be naturally thinking, what are you trying to get from me? Again, of course. That's the system they come from. If you're doing kindness to me, you're trying to get something from me. But when they realize that, oh, you're doing, you're getting nothing in return for this, then they're going to change their question from what do you want to, man, what do you have that I need? Does that make sense? So in my school at UT, there was a Muslim guy that lived uh, in our dorm, and this Christian friend of mine befriended him, and I didn't know who this guy was. By the way, if I had a nickel for every time someone came up to me and said, I met a Muslim, will you come talk to him? <laughs> I'd be a rich man, all right? So I say to him, I go, man, man, God's got you in his life. Let me see what, let's just see where it goes. And so he was uh, every night in his room, and he, they would debate. Islam versus Christianity, and the guy would uh, the guy would reject Christianity. But my friend kept his friendship there, kept loving them. And hey, we still off for basketball. It was so cool to watch this from afar. One night he came and knocked on the Muslim guy's door, and he opened. He goes, "Dude, I can't do the Jesus talk thing today." He goes, "I'm swamped." And he goes, "Look at all the books behind me. I got a paper due tomorrow." And my Christian friend goes, "Hey, let me help you." He's like, "How are you going to help me?" He's like, "I don't know." I'll just do some research for you, whatever you need. I'll help you type it up. So he stayed up all night till the next morning and helped this Muslim guy finish his paper. And he got it turned in. That next Saturday, the Muslim guy took the initiative and called my Christian friend and said, hey, you always talk about going to church. I'll go to church with you tomorrow. And he went, heard the gospel, became a Christian, and became one of the leaders in our, in our little community of Christians at UT. Uh, so listen, l- let me tell you, I'm not up here saying, I figured it out, guys. Do a Muslim guy's paper and he'll become a Christian, right? <laughs> but do you not agree with me that he gave weight to his words by the way he loved this guy? And again, I say to you, you have a unique window at any any moment where they think and they're expecting you to treat them differently. Okay? 
So then ultimately, as the Lord opens opportunities for you to share, you've got to get them to grace. At the end of the day, they don't understand grace. Okay? Um, So Tim Keller talks about um, three things that affect my level of gratitude. Have you ever heard him do this? When I receive something from, let's say, Dave, you're giving me something. So how how, uh, how much did it cost uh, me? So if Dave gives it to me at 20% off, I'm going to be kind of great. I'm going to be grateful. But if he gives it to me at 50% off, I'm going to be even more great, grateful. If he gives it to me for free, well, that's the nth degree of gratefulness, right? Of gratitude. That's number one. Number two, he says, how, how much did it cost Dave, the giver? So, like, I, I don't know about you, but there's been times when somebody's given me a gift, and I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And they go, oh, no worries. I got, like, 100 at my, at my workplace. I'm like, oh, never mind. You know what I mean? It just kind of cheapened it, right? Uh, but when somebody gives you something that's valuable, that's their only, okay? Um, so think of this. How much did it cost us? All right, it was free. The love of God. Now, I know you've got to take up your cross and follow him, but my point is, you do nothing to deserve it. How much did it cost him? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right? It cost him dearly. All right? And then, third thing he says is, how necessary is it? All right? Because, look, you can get a free um, breath mint on the, on the way out of a Mexican restaurant right but you're not doing backflips over it right and tim keller says no he goes it's like you're dying of a rare disease and there's no cure except for one scientist in a faraway land has concocted some cure but it costs millions of dollars to be able to get that vial and some guy sells all of his possessions purchases it and hands you that vial now how are you going to respond you're going to fall at his feet and say i'm at your service so when someone says grace makes no sense, why would you live for God? They don't understand what you're getting for free. Does that make sense? And that's, that's ultimately what a Muslim needs to understand. Grace, love is more powerful than fear. Okay? And so um, I share my story with them. I, I, I think, you know, your testimony is powerful, what God's done in your life. And then I try to get them to grace. And man... I, I, I think of places like, you know, Acts 8, when Philip is talking to an Ethiopian guy. You know what he does? All right, listen to this. He's led by the Spirit to go down to the desert. Okay, so that's one thing. I'm praying. I'm waiting for God to direct me. Then what does he do? He goes and he observes that he's reading from the prophet Isaiah in his chariot. Now, Probably your Muslim neighbor's not going to be reading Prophet Isaiah, you know, someday in his porch. But still, the point is, he's observing his life. He's gotten to know, he, like, invite him over to your house. And what does he do? He asks questions. Do you understand what you're reading? I think a lot of evangelism is asking questions. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? What's most important in life for you? 
Uh, here's a great question. Again, you're going to be like, are you kidding me? It's the most basic thing. It is. It's the most powerful question. How can I pray for you? You want to know what's going on? I've never, by the way, I haven't personally ever heard a Muslim say to me, I don't want you praying for me. You're a Christian. I've always heard them say, here's what's going on in my life. And you want to know what their needs are and to be able to serve them and meet their needs. Okay. So he observes, he asks questions, and then he finds a bridge. He's reading. Now, again, he happens to be reading as a sheep is led to the slaughter, <laughs> right? And he's like, who is this referring to? But he uses that bridge to point him to Jesus. And the Bible says, beginning at that scripture, he opened his mouth and preached Jesus to him. Just like Paul in Acts 17, right? He sees their inscription to the unknown God. He observes their objects of worship. And what does he do? He knows their poetry. All of those were bridges that he used to get them to the gospel. But you're not going to know those bridges if you don't do life with them. If you don't ask them questions. If you don't invite them into your home. Right? If you don't go knock on their door and say, hey, you're, you're brand new to the country. Are you kidding me? Do you know how to set up a bank account? I have no idea. Well, let me help you. Or do you know how to, I don't know, sign up for school? Or I don't know, whatever way to help them assimilate. And those are the bridges you look for. So we got 10 minutes. Should I share a funny story and then answer some questions, beginning with the virgins? Um, uh, I'm sitting on a plane, uh, and I can't believe I'm going to confess this, but I will. And just remember, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human sinner, okay? I'm not perfect. So there are times I get on the plane, and I'm like, Lord, not today. I need to sleep or I need to prepare for my next sermon. So don't don't put the Muslim guy next to me today. Okay. <laughs> so I know I'm so bad. I know. And so sure enough, I get on the plane and I look up and I see him. Get, I go, that, no way. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I, I see him I'm like that. That's him. And he's walking. And he's walking. And he's walking. And sure enough, plops down next to me. But I'm still going to fight God on this. Right. So what I do is I pull out my Bible like discreetly and it happened to have my big study Bible. I don't know why. And I thud, put it on my uh, um, tray and I'm not kidding you. He goes, you're reading the Bible like really loud. Like everyone, 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 like, everyone like turns around and I, and I go, Hey, how's everyone doing? Right. And so I go, I go, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. I go, I go, have you read the Bible? He's like, oh, I don't have time for that. I go, really? He's like, I'm too busy. I go, well, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a risk analyst. And I go, this is, so, this is so interesting, right? And then I go, okay, all right. Uh, and so uh, I go, um, I go, well, well uh, man, you, you, yeah. He said, well, why do you do that? I, go, I need it. It's, it's, it's my life. It gives me life. I, you know, I learn about God and all this. And so finally I go, well, what's your name? And I about fell out of my chair. He's not from my country. He had a very long name. But he goes, but for short, I just go by Gona. Well, Gona in Farsi, my language means sin. And I'm like, this is too delicious. All right. It's a it's a risk analyst named Sin who doesn't have time to read the Bible. Right. I mean, and so I go, you're kidding me. I go, well, my name is Gona, too. And he goes, really? I go, no, not really. But do you know your name means sin in Farsi? <laughs> and he goes, really? I go, yeah. And you know what, bro? I'm a sinner too. 
And you know what the Bible actually says if you were to read it? So are you, and so is he, and so is she, and so is he. In fact, the Bible says all of us are gonna, all of us are sinners. But you know what? The Bible says that's why Jesus came. You know, he lived a sinless life. Here's why. And I share the gospel using his name as a bridge. All right? So I'm just telling you, sometimes it just falls in your lap like that. You know what I mean? But you got to get to know them first. Okay? So the question about the virgins, yeah, I, you know, um, I was with my mom, and I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I know that the, there's some debate on that. Like, is that, um, I, I one time was talking to my stepmom and her mom, my grandmother, <laughs> from Iran was there, and we were talking about heaven, and I can't remember what she's, oh, I was telling this about how, well, I don't, I don't really think I'm going to be, like, necessarily married to Meredith in, in heaven. And she's like, what? And I go, yeah, the, there's, the Bible, there's no giving of mar- in marriage in heaven. I was trying to explain that to her. And so I said, um, Mom, do you think the idea that sex in heaven would be a reward for faithfulness on this earth is God's idea or a man's idea? And she goes, that sounds like a man's idea. (laughs) And I was like, I rest my case. (laughs) Anyway, but that's all I got for you. I just had a little story. (laughs) I don't know. But um, any other questions? Well, I can't believe we only have five minutes. I didn't. I thought I was going fast. Yeah. Um, do you? I mean, because obviously we're Christians and we're very much affected. Do you think it's really helpful for us as um, Christians to go through a lot of conspiracy theories that help each other a lot? <laughs> to circulate that? Well, I mean, because you know, there's a lot of those conspiracies mm-hmm. going on. They tend to be popular in Christian circles. Yeah. Is that really helpful for us? No, I don't. No. So. Um, I don't. I mean, so, okay, let me, let me, the, the, the issue of radical Islam and terrorism. Um, so I, this is my humble opinion, okay? Uh, is there such a thing as radical Islam? Of course there is. And do we um, want our government to be proactive <laughs> in uh, protecting us from that kind of a thing? Of course we do, okay? Um, are all Muslims terrorists? No. Okay. Does Islam teach terrorism? Debatable. So here's what I would say. I don't think Islam is a religion of peace. As George Bush said, for very political reasons, I believe, uh, when the war was beginning. Um, But I know why he was saying it. But I don't think it is because in Islam, it does talk about fighting against the people of the book who have not been given the scriptures, which is... um, which is the Quran, basically, which is, you know, the Jews and the Christians. So, you know, there's a teaching in Islam that I should be killed for converting to Christianity or from Islam. So I wouldn't go so far to say it's a religion of peace. Um, I, I'm, I would say to you that 99% of Muslims that you're going to come across, if not all of them that here, I mean, they're, they're not out to kill you, okay? Um, and um, they... Um, are blinded and they're gripped by fear and they're doing what they have been told all their life they have to do in order to be accepted by God. And maybe, uh, if I can speak off record, politically, they have a lot of skepticism if you come across some of them overseas about America um, uh, for various reasons because they grew up in a place that maybe uh, 
was bombed using American military. <laughs> you know, I mean, just so I mean, I I I I try to understand a lot more where they're coming from. And I'm, by the way, a very patriotic American. Everything I said from the stage that I'm a Christian first is still true. But I love our country. But my point is, I I understand why they w- they would be skeptical towards us. Uh, I also know that they're gripped by fear, and I have to have the the mo that I'd be right there with them if I didn't have Christ. Okay, um, so anyway, I don't know if that helped you, but I I wouldn't be circulating that they're all trying to kill us. Yeah. He so he asked about the Crusades. Yeah, I mean it's a great question. I think it's a it's a obviously a, a huge blemish on the um, record of Christian history that I think we have to own up to, um, as are some other things I could point out that the church has done wrong uh, in our own country. Um, if you think of racism in our country, and um, I mean, there's, but that's a obviously a little more severe with the Crusades, and I think we need to say that. Um, that look, you know, um, there have been, um, ma- you know, man-made um, errors in the church big time, and um, that have drifted away from the true gospel, and and point them to Jesus and not to men as the example of what Christianity is. At the end of the day, you do that, but you do have to own up. I mean, because. We are to be a, a reflection of the gospel. So I'm not trying to say we can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I would probably, I'd probably, I'd probably just bring that, bring up, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'd probably more embrace the fact that there are sinners in the history of the church. And, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Violence in the Bible, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I always hear like the Canaanites, for for instance, and and, the, and I mean, I don't know. I, I I think, I think we we talk about very clearly that there's the, the the wrath of God for God to be a just God. He must punish sin so yes the wrath of god is coming upon all of us none of us deserve now those cases like for instance there's this text in genesis 15 where god says to abraham that your descendants will be um enslaved for 400 years and you're going to be buried with your fathers then they'll come into this land for the sins of the amorites the iniquity of the amorites is not completed yet so it's almost as if god is saying their sin needs to continue to rise up to a point where when I act and judge them, everybody would be clearly seeing that these people were wicked sinners. Does that make sense? So I don't know if this is helpful, but for me, I'm like, um, God is God punishes uh, sinners. And when you hear about how they, what, they're, they're commanded to kill all the Canaanites, you see what the Canaanites did to their own children. You know what I mean? And so... Um, I don't know if that's helpful, but um, that's what I that 
I mean, the, yes, God is a wrathful God. We don't deserve. Tell me, tell me what what your struggle is. Violent. I, I don't think that's true, though. There's violent. There's still violence in the world. What does she? What do you mean? Um, like and back in Islam, there's a lot of violence. Oh, right, right, right. So, so tell me how they've evolved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is a longer discussion probably, but I I don't think we're brushing our violence under the rug in terms of, yes, there have been, you know, um, violent wars, uh, humans are sinners, and I think God is a just God to punish, but I, I don't think it's like, you know, Islam I don't think has evolved to answer that question, okay? So that's that Christianity has has shown that there is one who uh, turns the tide of the violence by actually taking the punishment uh, that we deserve. You know what I mean? And I I think that's a I don't know. I understand what you're saying, and it is hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but I would point her to Jesus. Like I, like they don't have anything that resembles what God has done for us in Jesus in their in their book. Yes. I, I don't I'm I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it supersedes it. Um but I do know the tone of Islam becomes that's why I, it actually becomes more violent as it goes. Uh not less. Um so that's a good point. You just reminded me of that because it starts off very favorable towards the Jews and Christians and then as they were rejecting him it got it got more violent. Well hey, it's time, isn't it? And one of the things we like to do is make it really hot in this room so that you will know what it's like if you don't know Jesus. I'm just, is that the, that's dumb. All right. On that note, you're never going to ask me back again because he makes corny jokes. I'm sorry if you all got to go for the next session. But I guess if someone wants to ask me a quick question up here, you can. Uh, does anyone know the answer to that? Yeah, yeah. What did you say? Yeah. Really? That's cool. Well. <laughs> no, no, no. It's cool that you have a student that's a uh, a Muslim that you could reach out to. Yes. No. No. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Thank you, guys.